All right, and we're uh, we're recording. How are you doing today, Ryan? Doing fantastic. Good to be here with you today. It's great to have you here. I'm honored that you were able to do this in person like we were just discussing a minute ago. Um, I could imagine you're probably a busy person. There's a lot going on these days, especially now that we've officially filed. We've turned in all of our signatures. We turned in over 20,000 signatures, and we collected them without paying for them. That's the way that it should be done, and that's the way that we did it. And now that we have... That out of the way, there's about three months and two weeks until the primary election. So it's been very busy for the last 14 months, and these next few months is going to be insanely busy. What do you mean that uh, you um, you haven't paid for them? Are there other candidates that have paid for signatures? I believe that to be the truth, yes. I know that there's a lot of other candidates that hired companies in order to pay for their signatures. So the way that you can do it is that collect it with grassroots supporters, individuals that are willing to volunteer for you, or you can hire a company or you can pay people to collect your signatures. I know some of the other candidates were paying and we did not pay for our signatures. We have enthusiastic supporters that were out there and I was at a lot of our events. So I was able to shake the hands of a lot of the people that actually signed my petition. Yeah. I, I met you at a, a gun show. That's right. Yeah. You were there. So for, yeah. yeah, that's it. Um, that seems like it should be illegal. It's, not right (laughs) it's 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 like a fee to pay okay if you basically right yeah because if you were just saying okay in order to get past this milestone i just pay somebody else to do it right is that really i don't know i I don't like it but we did it the right way and that's what matters yeah absolutely you earned it that's it um so let's kind of back up a little bit how about you tell me about yourself um i'm not going to get too political on here. I, I don't debate people on the podcast. That's not what this platform's about. I just want to have a good conversation with you and allow my listeners to get to know who you are and, and whatnot. However, I do have some questions that the um, general public wanted me to ask. So um, who are you? Are you, are you from, you're not from Lansing, right? I'm from West Michigan. I okay. live in Allendale. My amazing wife, Tabitha and I, we now have six kids. Our youngest wow. is almost a month old. So Uh time flies. Seems like it was just born yesterday. But yeah, we have six kids ranging from almost 12 down to just born. And I've lived in Michigan for 35 years. I'm 40 years old. So here most of my life. And it seems like these days I live in my car traveling (laughs) around the state, right? So that's how things have been over the last 14 months. I own a real estate firm in West Michigan, but I've sold properties all over the state. I've been in the real estate industry in various capacities for roughly 12 years, so a little over a decade. And in regard to uh, that previous to that, I worked for AT&T. I was a union employee. So going into this governor race, I'm not a career politician. I've actually had a job. I've worked outside with my hands. I understand a lot of that union negotiation contract with companies. And I also have built companies, hired and worked with employees, uh, some very um, innovative strategies in order for us to create some very custom things for a franchise that I was building. So very, very uh, skilled background in a lot of different areas. Um, I think that's important because a lot of people, I think at this point are kind of sick of uh, career politicians, correct? When I was walking out of the secretary of state's office the other day, we mentioned the signature. So you go to the secretary of state, you file on the way out. There was all these media people out there And they asked me, they said, you've never ran for office before, right? And I'm like, yeah, that's correct. All of the gubernatorial candidates, which there's 10 of them, so me plus nine, none of us have ever been elected to any office before. Wow. I've served on local government as a planning commissioner, but all of the gubernatorial candidates have never been elected to office before, which is exciting because the person that replaces Whitmer this November will have never held office before. And I believe that that person is going to be me. That is awesome. Very exciting. I, I love how confident you are. You're not, you know, saying if I win, you're saying when I win. That's it. That's awesome. Um, now, you said you were a union worker. I'm sorry about the lights. I don't know what's going on. Um, hold on a second. I'm sorry. Could be worse. It could be. It's probably the switch going bad. Uh, I had nothing but problems with these lights. <coughs> okay. It's all good. It's not throwing me off. I've dealt with a lot worse. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I I was doing a podcast one time and the lights kept flickering the whole time. And that was really annoying. But I thought I fixed the problem since then. Um, Anyways, 
So you were a union worker for how long, you said? A decade. A decade. And uh, I asked that because I'm also a union worker. I work at General, Motor- General Motors. My, right. my wife does also. And it's kind of a family thing. My dad works there. Sure. So um, coming from like a union background, what do you plan on? Because typically like unions are pretty democratic. So what do you plan on doing to help the union, union workers, I guess, essentially? I think if we look at that from two different perspectives, we get very different outcomes. Now, historically, unions have been Democrat, but there's been a shift. And I think the, the lens that a lot of the union workers are looking at the Democratic Party versus what's going on in our country. And there's been a big shift of the union workers more towards libertarian, more towards Republican and moving away from the Democratic Party. I've spoke with many different union members across the state. Some of the people I used to work with at AT AT&T that are still there, part of the union, they're huge supporters of mine. And I've talked with uh, folks from the IBEW, United Auto Workers. Uh, There's some other places around the state that have shown strong support for me. So I think what the union itself is pushing is maybe different from what the membership really truly feels or how their vote's going to reflect those values. Why is that, do you think? Because that's one thing that I've always questioned because our our union, the UAW, always supports the Democratic Party. And I don't understand that because I'm like, why wouldn't they have, why wouldn't they be open to other ideas or the person that's going to help them the most or be willing to help them the most? I think a lot of it comes down to some right to work stuff. I've heard from some different folks. Um, and, you know, historically, I think that it's just been ingrained in that process. And so there's still some of those people that are following in that same trend maybe with different leadership because the the union leadership is much different than the union employees, right? Yeah. You might have the local president that's also an employee or whatever versus some of the individuals that are strictly employed by the union that don't work for the company that represent the union members. So I don't know, there's a lot there to discuss and we don't need to dive into all the... This episode is brought to you by Red Bike Delivery. This delivery service operates only using battery-powered, eco-friendly transportation. Red Bike Delivery is there for all your delivery needs, whether it's dinner for the family, flowers for your partner, or new houseplants for your new collection. Red Bike Delivery will gladly deliver those and everything in between. So what are you waiting for? Check out Red Bike Delivery on Facebook or Instagram for more information. Red Bike Delivery, because there's only one earth. Details of that, but I do believe that there's a big difference. There was a lot of union members that supported Trump. Yeah. Yeah, there are. I mean, working there, I, I, I know a bunch of people. <laughs> you bet, yeah. It's a, it's a big number. It's it's growing more and more, I think, is the further left the Democratic Party pushes yeah. with some of their different things that are, you know, their ticket items right now, you know, pushing the sexualization and transgenderism in K-12 through schools, K-3 through schools. A lot of people are looking at that and going, nah, I think I'll just stick with normal, right? Let's like let's leave that out of the kids' uh, schooling and and let's just kind of go in more of a normal direction. Uh, can we talk about that for a minute? Uh, what is What is that exactly that they're trying to push? What exactly are they wanting to teach? There's a couple of different ways of looking at that. So, I mean, the curriculum of DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, which actually I've spoke with a lot of teachers in the Detroit area that they say, hey, that whole curriculum and idea is actually causing more bullying and shining a light on a topic that the kids are, it's really just dividing them more than trying to, more than bringing them together. So I think it's kind of not achieving what they're looking to achieve. And this is coming directly from teachers, but we see like the sexualization of the children by the content that's in the schools Mm. as a candidate for governor. I've traveled all around our state, going to school board members, standing with parents that don't like what's happening in our schools. And I've seen at several different school boards where there has been one of the parents that actually reads some of the literature or shown some of the pictures of what is available in our schools, and and it's it's pornographic, and it's something that the kids should not be seeing in any by any means or things that they should be reading. I mean, focusing on academics, focusing on you know things like skilled trades, other things that are going to help students excel mm-hmm. versus this. And I think what they're getting at is they want to normalize pedophilia. It's grooming our children, uh, and it's wrong on every single level, and it needs to be left out of our public. What exactly are they? What's exactly pornographic? 
Uh, some of the some of the pictures. So I've seen some of the pictures. I don't have any with me now to show <laughs> right. you, right? You know exactly. What, I don't carry that stuff with me. Is there anywhere um, we can go to see? Like eventually, like if somebody um, wants to look it up. I'm sure, and I'll be at the Grand Blanc School Board on Monday, okay. which is over by Flint, um, and I'm going to yeah. be talking with them about it. I have some contacts at the Forest Hill School Board, so I'll tell you what. I will talk to them, get some of that. Um, uh, resources where you can find that information and share that with you. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. That seems concerning, I, I guess. I mean, I don't, as a parent, I have two children in school. I don't really know exactly what they're teaching. Um, I don't really know what their curriculum consists of. So I guess that's concerning. It is. And it's a parent's responsibility as well in order to know what that looks like, because we thought, Hey, it's our schools that we send our kids to. They're doing the right thing. They're teaching yeah. our children the skill sets that they need. And a lot of these school districts, there's they're not. And here's the thing, too, is that it's not all like bad teachers because there's a lot of good teachers out there that are kind of being handicapped by this social, emotional learning, diversity, equity, and inclusion, right. critical race theory type of content and, and curriculum. And they just want to teach math. Right. They just want to teach their kids literature now, and is, how to write. Is there like an age group that they're teaching it to? Like, is it, or is it K through 12? K through 12, right? And it's not in every single school district that I know of. Um, okay. But there's a lot of them, and I've traveled all over the state. Monday, again, I'm going to Grand Blanc. They asked me to come out there. And, and I believe that's, that's an important component of my campaign because instead of just having popular talking points, and that's when we look at 10 different candidates, the question is like, all right, if you all have – the same type of talking points. I'm pro second amendment. I'm right. pro education reform. I'm pro, you know, whatever down the list, box checking Republicans. <laughs> right. Are you really standing for those things and fighting for those? Or, or are you fighting for a position with hoping people believe that because you check the boxes, you're going to represent those things. I've been, I've been hitting the road. I go stand with parents at school boards and I look them in the eyeballs at the school board meeting saying, What's going on here that you don't like? What are the components of the schooling system here that that have you showing up today? And I'm getting that feedback one-on-one to, uh, you know, whatever the groups are there, mm. seeing it, and then being able to address the school board as a candidate for governor as well. Yeah. Now, now running the campaign trail, it's I, I find it it's probably kind of easy to, t- you know, tell people, you know, I can fix that or I plan on changing this. How difficult are some of these things that you want to change? Or how's it, how difficult is it going to be to change them? There's a lot of different... Uh, I mean, because I'm sure you're going to have a lot of pushback. And, sure. Yeah. There will definitely be some pushback. And th- that's a, a broad brush to, to paint because yeah. there's so many different topics. And some of them are much easier than others. So day number one with Governor Kelly, the pandemic is over. And I know that they've pulled back on the mandates and all this other stuff now because it's not popular, right? The science and data that they were following was political science and polling data, right? Right. And so they're seeing that the polling data doesn't show that it's popular and they're pulling back. We see that Fauci's already talking about more variants and possible lockdowns. And, you know, if Gretchen Whitmer weasels her way back in, expect more lockdowns, expect vaccine mandates in the state of Michigan. So we need to know that our next governor, that we don't go back in time to 2020. So day number one with Governor Kelly, all mandates are canceled of any that are still remaining. There's even some kids in the Ann Arbor School District that are still forced to wear masks. Mm, that's so, how Lansing schools are. Are they? Yeah. So there you go. You know, it's still it's still happening. And all of those, that all needs to be done and canceled. And no vaccine mandates, not in our state, not on my watch. Are there any? In, in Michigan? There's not right now that I know of, okay. but again, how quickly can that change after the midterms, right? right? If Democrats regain control back of the Michigan House, or I'm sorry, the, the House of Representatives in Washington, D.C., or the governor, the attorney general, the secretary of state in Michigan, right? All of those things can all of a sudden pop right back up again. And when many of us are like, oh, we thought we were done with that, then all of a sudden... Here we go again, round two, right? <laughs> we allow doctors to prescribe effective treatments. Those are things that I could very easily do as governor because those are things that come as the executive of the executive branch. All of those are, are departments of the executive branch. Okay. Other things would be much more difficult. At the end of the day, as governor, I want to make sure that I am working with the legislature as much as possible because executive orders only go so far They're used to tell the government how to operate, but laws can't be changed very easily by the next governor just saying, oh, that executive order is no more. 
Right. So working with the legislature on a lot of these components is going to be very important. What made you want to run for governor? Who would want that job? That's a great it, question. And at what point did you decide that, hey, I think I'm going to run for governor? And and what was the final factor in you making that decision? It was a decision that took several months to really come to that conclusion. It wasn't something where just snap overnight, hey, I'm running for governor. But I saw what was happening in our country in 2020 and the corruption, especially in Michigan. It's just it's so corrupt here in Michigan. And our country is a constitutional republic. And that really is eroding right in front of our face. We see what America once stood for being replaced by this new idea of what the left is trying to instill in the minds of our kids and, and really change America from what it was founded to be. So I saw it as an obligation to stand for my country, protect our constitutional republic, and do my part. So there was a lot of prayer. I'm strong in my faith, right? And my wife, the six kids that I mentioned, we had five at the time, right? We had a lot of conversations about what does this look like? What is the obligation? And it wasn't something like we're going to dip our toe in and see what happens. I talked mm -hmm. with my wife. I said, we make this decision to do this. It's all in full throttle to the finish line. An interesting story here, too, is that just recently, right before I turned my signatures in, I went to my wife again. This was you know, 10 days ago, whatever it was. And I said, all right, we've made the decision back in December of 2020 to do this. And we knew what we knew then. We know what we know now. Now we have another kid. So I want to ask you in all seriousness, how you doing? Hmm. Are things still good? Do you still want to go down this path? Are we going to, you know, is this, is this hurting our family? Is this helping our family? Because I would rather have said I need to be here for my family and walk away versus leave my family behind and, and be there for everybody else, if you will, right? Yeah. That was something I was personally struggling with because um, because I love my wife. I love my family. I'm a father, right? I need yeah. to be there for them. And I said, don't answer me right away. Think about it. She goes, oh, no, I'm going to answer you right now. You better do this. We made this decision <laughs> to do this. We're not stopping right now. Like Everything is fine here. So, you know, that was reaffirming our decision, number one. And I can always tell if my wife's not telling me the truth, right? <laughs> so it's like she had the answer right there, right then. And so, you know, that, that decision was made, you know, you asked, you know, one specific point in time. It wasn't really one specific point in time. It was a thought process over several months and a lot of prayer into it, discussing what it would look like, and then ultimately making the decision that if God keeps opening these doors, I'll keep walking through them. And if the doors close, then, hey, the door closes, find something else to do. And they keep opening. So we keep walking through them. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's important to make sure you have your family behind you because if you don't, then you're a failing man anyways. Right. Exactly. What, what am I, what am I pursuing? Right. And that's where I go back to, I'm not, I, I feel like a lot of people can be blinded by these positions, right? Yeah. Oh, governor. Oh, whatever. Yeah. You know, the, the position might be. And that's how willing. I felt before you got here. I'm like, oh, this guy's running for governor. I'm, I'm nervous. Yeah. But really? You're just another guy. Just, I'm a regular guy, yeah, yeah. which is why I have so much support around the state because I, I don't fit in with the typical, like what you would think would be a politician, which is what we need more of just right. regular people that are willing to fight. And I have the boldness and courage to stand up and do it. And so, uh, people, they come in, I, I believe to, to these positions for the position, for a career change, yeah. for something to say, Oh, you know, there's, there's this, and they can tend to leave things behind or, or change who they are. Their principles get, kind of a little bit wavy and they don't stay in a straight line, if you will. And, and I'm fueled by purpose. I'm not blinded by the position. And it goes back to the, you know, why do, why do you want this job? Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. The question is not, why do I want this job? Who needs to fill this job? And I believe that it's regular people that have the boldness and courage to stand up to what's going on in our world right now. And by proof, I have that I've been doing it for years um, I, you know, I took a case to the DOJ and the FBI back in 2020 saying, Hey, Whitmer violated all these federal laws, violated the constitution. She put COVID-19 positive patients in nursing homes. Like, what are you guys going to do? Ultimately they said nothing, but that was the right thing to do at that time. And that was relatively unpopular. I guess you could say nobody else was doing it, but I looked at that situation as that, Hey, this, this needs to happen. 
at least take the steps in order to try to bring justice and accountability to our government because it's absent. Now, one thing I I follow you on social media. Um, One thing I think a lot of people probably like titled you kind of like maybe an extremist, right? Or like uh, whatever whatever titles they want to give you. You seem pretty firm on all the things that you you believe in. Sure. Right? Have you gotten any backlash from that? I'm sure you have. A, a little bit, yes. And, you know, it doesn't take much for, for the left to classify anybody that doesn't fit their narrative as an extremist, as some sort of, you know, right-wing activist mm-hmm. or whatever. And really, I'm just a concerned American at the bottom. You know what I mean? The, right. the bottom line is I'm a concerned American uh, I support the Second Amendment. That makes me, you know, uh, whatever they want to label me as well, right? The rallies we did throughout 2020, we encouraged people to exercise their Second Amendment. That also had them classified me as some sort of, you know, right-wing activist that, you know, and that's just the narrative that they want to push, right? I mean, it's a good way to dismiss somebody, right? Right. To to label them as an extremist and extreme right-wing, whatever titles there are. Right. And, yeah. and I look at it like on the flip side here in Michigan, like Gretchen Whitmer put COVID-19 positive patients in nursing homes, knowing that that could have been the potential outcome. And then she vetoed a bill, Senate Bill 956 in July of 2020, that would have stopped that after all these people are dying. She chose to veto it and keep putting COVID-19 positive patients in nursing homes. That sounds pretty extreme to me. Mm, yeah. And I think there's a lot of other things that we can point out. That- was, that, was that covered by the media? Somewhat, not very much though. That's another problem. That's, that's one thing I have a huge concern on. Um, I don't want to get into it too much here, but my, my problem is with the media. The media, um, paints a certain narrative all the time. I mean, obviously, you know, um, and I find that to be a huge problem. Do you plan on doing anything about that? Is there anything you can do about that? Speaking the truth even louder. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, If people, if the media is telling blatant lies, that's one thing. Now there's legal repercussions that can happen there. And right. it's a battle you have to fight as well because, yes, they tell lies. There's you know information that they share that's not accurate. They've done that to me already. Mm. Um, Anderson Cooper had Dana Nessel on his show, and they were talking about me because Dana Nessel wanted to investigate me. And you know, Anderson Cooper's headline was, you know, Ryan Kelly tells uh, uh, voters to unplug election machines. I've seen that article. And, and I'm just thinking to myself, like, that is not at all how the conversation went, but that's the manipulation. Uh, and funny story on CNN, too, they just released CNN Plus. So it was a paid subscription, yeah. like Disney Plus, and right? They, CNN Plus. They canceled it. Yeah, they canceled it, right? <laughs> Two days later. Yeah, they're like, oh, uh, this is a bad idea, right? They didn't, it was like a month or whatever it was. But yeah, so we see their viewership is dropping. More and more people are looking for podcasts like yours. Yeah. Where they can just hear the real conversations between people and get that, you know, we want to call it alternative media sources, but really yeah. it's real media sources, right? right. Being able right. to tell the truth and have the real conversations. And, and people are looking for avenues to get their facts from these type of sources more so than CNN. And if you're looking at the mainstream media, a lot of times you're like, wow, okay, they're saying that. So hmm, that's probably a lie. And if they're going after that person, that's probably our guy. I know whenever I see something on like Fox news, even Fox news um, or CNN, I'm, I immediately go look at look it up, and then I, I find like a middle article, or I take one, I read one, and then I read the other, and then some it's obviously somewhere in between. Right, it's so extreme one way or the other. Um, yeah, the media is a huge problem for me. Um, let's see, here. I had some questions uh, that people from the community wanted me to ask. Uh, well, first I want to bring this up. So there's this girl I went to school with. Her uh, brother just died a couple years ago. He was hit by, I believe, a drunk driver. And um, anyway, she's fighting for some legislation to be passed, and she wanted me to ask you this. So I'll just read the message. Um, she said, I would, love you, I would love to know where he stands regarding the light sentencing surrounding impaired driving resulting in death. I am working relentlessly to get harsher guidelines put into place. I have gathered stories from countless families that experience injustice in the punishing of losing a loved one uh, the way we lost my brother. I've reached out to every legislator, Senate, Senate, and even hand-delivered a letter to Ivanka Trump at a rally in ER, only to receive the same response that they're sorry for my loss, but there's nothing they can do in a criminal case. 
Has he looked into this at all, especially because the issue is only set to rise with legalizing marijuana? How is making the decision to drive a vehicle impaired, turning a vehicle into a weapon, an excuse to kill someone? What's the person's first name that wrote that? Uh, her name is Aaron. Aaron, thank you for the question. And I, first of all, would like to start off by saying that I don't drink any alcohol at all. None, ever, zero tolerance. Um, and I believe that that is a best practice for people in general to reach their full potential, but that's not the point of the question here. Um, first of all, I think that yes, having more harsher sentences for people that are driving impaired and it results in the death of another person is something that I would sign. People need to know that if you're using those substances, you don't get behind a wheel. Right. And, and people know that they want to use the excuse of whether it was buzzed driving or whatever. And, and we know how people can, in their own minds, create whatever narrative that they want to justify their actions. It's still wrong at the end of the day. And when someone loses a, love, a loved one because of it, uh, it's tragic. And how she phrased that, turning the car into a weapon, that's very interesting, right? Yeah. Uh, we talk about guns being dangerous. Uh, and they are if you don't use them properly. Correct. Right? Yeah. And cars are very dangerous if you don't use them properly. And part of that is not getting impaired and then driving. Uh, and so I don't know exactly what that would look like. That would be legislation that I would have to sign. And I would be open to a conversation to her to talk about some of those details. And I think that, you know, Without discussing all of the details to know exactly what it is, the, the short answer is yes, I would be willing to sign something that would bring harsher penalties for impaired driving that resulted in death of another individual. I just seen this morning that uh, Tennessee passed a law. I don't know if you've seen that. Uh, I did. Regarding uh, uh, somebody who kills a parent, they're now required to pay that person's child, child support. support. Yep, I did yeah. see that. That's thought... very, uh, I don't know, all, I didn't read the bill. I don't know all the details on that. Um, so I couldn't say if that'd be something that I would do the same with, but definitely a very interesting concept. Yeah. So do they not anticipate you going to jail? <laughs> I mean, how are you going to pay child support if you're in jail? That's a great question. I mean, <laughs> again, without reading the bill, I don't know all the details of what that looks like, but yeah, you would think that if you, you know, involuntary manslaughter or whatever it is, you know, you're, you're not going to get off scot-free or whatever the case may be. So I don't know. I'll have to read the bill. I do have the article pulled up on my phone. I just haven't had a chance to read it yet. Okay. Now, I could imagine it's probably probably pretty difficult to stay up on the news and the media and everything. Or do you have people advising you? How do you, how do you manage to stay up on everything? There's a few different folks out there that will send me articles or keep me involved with... Uh, you know, topics that are changing all the time. Uh, Newsbreak, I think, is this app that I have that's constantly updating with local news. And I think this is the one, like, as you drive around, location services that are on. So it'll send you little articles based on where you're at. So that's kind of an interesting little one. Uh, TikTok as well. I go on TikTok a lot. And you have a pretty big following on TikTok. TikTok's been amazing. I think that's my, my best social media platform. I just posted a video a minute ago. I stitch a lot of Gretchen Whitmer's videos on there. I see that. And so the one I stitched today, she was talking about Ukrainian refugees uh, opening, uh, you know, Michigan's open to Ukrainian refugees. And she directed the Department of Treasury for the state of Michigan to disinvest in Russian assets. And I heard that, and I'm like, stitch. So I stitched out that part, Michigan Department of Treasury to disinvest in Russian assets. And my question is, why are Michigan taxpayers invested in Russian assets? What other foreign governments are Michigan taxpayers invested in? Yeah. As the Democrats from 2016 to 2020 talked about Russia, 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 Russia collusion, yeah. with everything with Trump, right? It was yeah. all Russia, Russia, Russia. And then now Gretchen Whitmer is talking about Michigan disinvesting in Russian assets. I don't see that in our budget anywhere. I don't see Russian assets. So on, what do you think that is? I have no idea, but I'm definitely, I made that TikTok about it. I put it out on Telegram and I'm going to put out an email here shortly about it as well and blast it out to all the media. And hopefully we get a little bit of attention on this. Like, I think Michigan citizens deserve to know what exactly are we invested in in regards to Russian assets? Yeah. 
That's a that's a big question right there. So I don't know if she just kind of slipped on that or if she's trying to earn brownie points with certain <laughs> communities. But it's like, whoa, hold on a minute here. You might have yeah. just opened up a whole can of worms. How much is it? Is it, you know, oh, we got, you know, $300,000 and a little, you know, snack bar in the corner or something, a little hot dog stand? <laughs> or do you have, you know, billions of dollars wrapped right. up into the Russian government, right? right. I, I mean, it's an answer that we need to know. And, and what other governments? I mean, how much do we have invested in China? Oh, my god, If any, right? Yeah. I mean, these are questions that I think, you know, I'm going to, and going on offense, I think is the most important thing, especially with Republicans. Like they normally just sit back and wait for something to react to, and they'll just make some sort of statement back versus mm. actually going on the offense. And I've done right. that a lot with Gretchen Whitmer. And the, they just, you know, you went ask earlier about some of my stances and they want to label them as extreme. I label them as uh, w wanting to know the truth and wanting to know the answers. I'm unapologetically American. But the thing about that is that's labeled extreme. Right. Like people will hear you say something like that and they're like, oh, he sounds like an extremist. Right. He wants to know the truth. Searching for the <laughs> truth, right? Oh, geez, yeah. right? I think there's a lot of people watching in silence as well. And they're saying that's that, me. Yeah. I watch in silence because right. I don't know much. Right. So. And you just want to see the different things and you just want something that resonates with kind of how you think. And I think most people want a sense of normalcy. Yeah. Yeah. They just want to be able to live their life. They want to live a, a, a normal, uh, you know, everyday American dream. Yeah. Right. Which to a certain extent is how we got ourselves into this mess in the first place, because mm -hmm. while so many people were unengaged living their life, and, and not really involved in the process, some other individuals with a different plan kind of creep right. their way in, right. and now we're seeing the fruits of their labor. Well, not to mention all the hypocrisy that's taken place over the last, you know, two years. Right. Like, at the beginning of the pandemic, everybody had the idea, okay, we're going to shut down for two weeks to help, you know, spread or help stop spread COVID. Sure. And then, and then it kept going. And then it kept going and we're still in it. And then in the meantime, you see all these governors going into restaurants without masks and all kinds of things. It's, it's been ridiculous. Right. Yeah. Rules for me, not for thee or whatever. How the <laughs> goes, right. Um, yeah. The rules for thee, not for me type of mentality. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, it's, I mean, time after time with Whitmer, don't travel anywhere, jumps on a plane, goes to Florida, goes to Florida. You know, nobody's allowed to do anything opens up certain areas where she goes to vacation at and just, you know, the list goes on and on, which that's not leadership at all. Yeah. To do things, to ask people to do things that you won't do for yourself or you won't follow the same things as other people is, is king or queen peasant mentality. Yeah. Versus leadership with the people. Right. And that's a huge difference right now. And I think people are thirsty for leadership. I think people are thirsty for a different direction that resonates with the value set that most Americans have. Yeah. Well, I mean, like working at General Motors, for instance, we just recently uh, got rid of the masks. And it's like they being a worker there, I should probably be careful with what I say, <laughs> but being a worker there, you, Cut that. <laughs> you can see I don't edit anything. So um, even the light thing, I won't edit out. Right. But um even, you know, just working there and kind of seeing the hypocrisy of the way things were treated with COVID. Like, it was like, what? We have to wear masks, but we don't have to, you know, it's just whatever. You know what I mean. It doesn't <laughs> make don't. any sense. There's no consistency along the lines. Like, kids have right. to wear masks in school. Yeah. And then later that day, they can all go to the trampoline park or the local arcade or whatever. Oh, don't worry about wearing masks there. Well, we spent all day with each other at school. Right. And now right. we're here. Like, there's yeah. no consistency in the message. And again, to go back to the science and data, political science and polling data. Mm, yeah. And Whitmer, you know, in that example, I mean, she's, she's a manipulator. That's exactly what she's doing right now. She's trying to manipulate voters in order to think that, oh, wow, this lady really cares. Or, oh, there's a $400 refund that I got from overpaying my insurance. Or, you know, the list of things goes on. It's like fraud and scandal is mm -hmm. what wraps up her entire administration. And now that we're in an election year, she's trying to make herself look as good as possible so that voters say, you know, with the short-term memory, they say, oh, wow, you know, she's a really nice lady, and they forget everything that happened in 2020. Yeah. You know, and that's where it's got to be the mix, and I think, like, in anybody but Whitmer campaign is not going to win. We will lose if we have an anybody but Whitmer campaign. We need to, yes, be able to 
boldly call out the things that she did and point out all of those errors and the hypocrisy. But we have to have true solutions as well. We have to be able to speak into and paint the vision of what things look like with new leadership. Well, and that, that goes to, you know, people have to be engaged. People have to care about who they're voting for and they have to know what they're voting for. That's it. You know, because I think that's part of the problem, too, is a lot of people go to the polling stations and they they just vote for whoever. They don't really know much about their candidate, which is why I want to have you on, you know, so people get to kind of know who you are a little bit. <laughs> right. Uh, and I got an easy name, too. Right. Ryan. Kelly. Yeah. So people look at that. It's easy Most to basic pronounce. white name. Right, you white know, person. There you go. <laughs> Stretching that little dot right there. So yeah. that, that may be helpful. Um, and now, it's, you said you're pro Second Amendment. Um, is there anything you plan on changing uh here in Michigan? For great, great question. And there's a lot of the gun shows that we went to. I know we had met at a gun show. We spent a lot of time at gun shows all over the state, meeting with people from the 2A community. Um, I want to see constitutional carry in the state of Michigan. There's lots of states, and I think we have half of the states in America now have constitutional carry laws. So for me, what that means here for the state of Michigan is that we remove our CPL laws. Uh, Maybe there's some sort of a component to, and this was brought up the other day, some sort of component to get some sort of a reciprocity, you know, for the other states that don't have constitutional carry, if Mm -hmm. you want to carry in a state that has a CP law, uh, CPL law. So there's some sort of reciprocity stamp or something like that. I don't, I haven't really thought through all of that stuff, but I would like to see us get rid of our CPL laws here. Constitutional carry, right? Uh, No pistol registration. And then be able to oppose any red flag laws 100%. Red flag laws lead to a whole slew of things that is just bad for, uh, for anybody that, that supports the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment's important, but we also must remember that the Michigan Constitution, Article 1, Section 6, is kind of like our own Second Amendment here, that we have the right to defend ourselves and the right to keep and bear arms here in the state of Michigan under the Michigan Constitution. So it's important that, yes, while we talk about the Second Amendment, we talk about Article 1, Section 6 of the Michigan Constitution. That's a right that we all have here for, from states' rights, not just the federal rights. Now, do you think that'll get a lot of back? You'll get a lot of backlash from that? From, from no, no uh, pistol registrations, anything like that? Possibly. Uh, there's going to be backlash with all of it, right? Yeah. Anything that we take a hardline stance on that we believe in, you know, you're going to have pushback, <coughs> excuse me, from the other side. And, and still at the end of the day, it's like, okay, if a criminal is going to use a firearm to do some sort of crime, yeah, are they going to go and buy a gun and register it and then go out and do it? No, right? They're not going to do any of those things. And, and people are going to, uh, they're already committing a crime if they use a firearm to injure someone else. And so pistol registration doesn't change the fact at all of whether or not somebody's going to use that firearm in a purpose that is negative. Do you think it makes it easier for them to get? I don't think so at all. If somebody no. wants something, they're going to be able to you know, get it on the black market or something. I mean, there's, I, I can't speak for the way that everybody gets right, a hold right, of a firearm, yeah. right? It's a broad topic, but... Um, no, I don't think that makes it any, any easier than, you know, I mean, go back to the cars thing. I mean, if somebody's uh, intoxicated with something and they go steal a car, right, and they use it for, I mean, you're still, you know, whether that's registered in your name or not, right? I mean, yeah. you're still, you know, you're using it for something that's illegal and it's hurting someone else. Right. Yeah, there's that whole idea that guns kill people is completely absurd because, I mean, it's obviously the person and... Uh, that argument's so so overrated. <laughs> it's emotionally driven, especially with certain things when there's either a school shooting right. or something that happens. You know, and interesting enough, like out in Wisconsin, when that guy drove into that Christmas parade with an SUV, yeah, and uh, you know, killed all those people. You know, there wasn't any activist groups that are like, oh, we need you know SUV reform, and you know, we need to you know limit you know. Uh, SUVs and, and vehicles and all that stuff that yeah. went relatively undiscussed. So again, to your point, you're absolutely right. It's people that do the damage with these yeah. things. And I believe that if we were to, instead of demonizing firearms in our schools, if we were to uh, encourage proper use of that would change the outcome on how society in general of our younger generation, as they get older views firearms 
Well, they used to have um, like a firearm class, right, in schools right. and archery and everything. Right. Now, now they don't. They don't because yeah. they want to. They they want to paint the, the the Second Amendment and firearms as dangerous and bad. And I would like to see that change in Michigan. If we were to have legislation that said in our public schools there's a uh, a mandatory firearms class, I would absolutely sign that so that our young children are exposed to firearms, realize the dangers of them if you misuse them, learn how to handle them properly, yeah. right? And and you don't have to, not everybody has to, to dive super far into it, but generalizing things a little bit so people are familiar with, they understand and they know the dangers, I think you're going to change, you're going to have big Big differences moving into the future. Yeah, it gives children a little bit more respect, and it teaches them that you know that it, they need to respect it because right. it's it's a very dangerous thing. Yep, you bet. It's uh, look at what we do with drivers training. I know we're comparing those two, but they're yeah. great examples. I yeah. mean, we don't just you know uh, say, well, you know, you're 16 now. You know, good luck with your car out there, right? <laughs> no, we put them through drivers training. Right. They go through all of those things, and so if you're doing that with firearms as well, uh, it's gonna it's gonna change a lot of different. Um, uh, mentalities in general through society with firearms. Now you said on your first, in your first, your first day in office, you plan on ending COVID completely. What else do you plan on ending or changing your first hundred days in office? Great question. So, um, ending COVID it's ending the pandemic, I a guess, pandemic, right. Yeah. You know, COVID's a virus that still could lurk around, right. You yeah. know, we can't end that. What we can do is we can end, the emergency orders, we end the mandates, we end uh, if there's any vaccine mandates that try to get pushed on us again, uh, and then we end the fact that doctors aren't able to prescribe whatever medication the doctor thinks best, whether it's hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, if there's something else, right? We've had the government standing in the way of doctors to be able to prescribe those things. So those are the things that we end. I mean, you can't end a virus, right? right so right. Uh, yeah, just, just want to clarify. Yeah, I just, <laughs> want, just wanted to clarify that, yeah. though, right? And uh, also, day number one, we'll cancel the contracts with Dominion, ESNS, and Hart, the electronic voting machines. Mm -hmm. Now, throughout 2020 uh, and 2021, right, the, the conversation has raged on in regard to the results of the 2020 election. And there's a lot of different things around the voting machines that have really caused a lot of people to be disenfranchised with the entire system, ask a lot of questions. Um, you know, I just spoke with uh, with somebody earlier that uh, had shared a video with me showing some different uh, ballot harvesting things where people were picking up ballots and signing them and shuffling them in the drop boxes. So machines aren't our only obstacle. That's just one component of it. But I think the way that the machines are set up now with closed source software, inability to allow public to audit in order to know that there was validity to the election, we need to feel confident in our elections. Bottom line, that's the thing. So day number one, we're looking at bringing back election integrity or you know, going in that direction, working with, say, Christina Caramo. If she wins the nomination, tomorrow is when state convention is. Hopefully she wins that nomination. Uh, and then unseats Jocelyn Benson, uh, who, interesting enough, she got an award today. I don't know if it's today, but it was announced. The JFK Award. Um, I forget what it is here. I'll look on my phone real quick. I was just blown away by this. She made some statements where I'm like, wow, you know, this is um, anything but the reality. So <laughs> she earned the Defending Democracy at Home and Abroad 2022 Profile and Courage Award. Um, for the JFK Award. And her statement was, I am deeply moved and grateful for this recognition of our work in Michigan to ensure every voice is heard and every vote is counted. Wow. You know, <laughs> I, I don't know. There's a couple different sides of the story there I could see. But, um, you know, the, the mishandling of the 2020 election, we need to go in a different direction from that. We need to address our public schools, uh, critical race theory, social emotional learning, diversity, equity, and inclusion, Common Core. Our Department of Education is funded 94% by the federal government. One of Michigan's biggest problems plaguing our state is federal dollars controlling all of our agencies. Someone like Gretchen Whitmer, who's got investments in Russia, we don't even know what those are, right? She's allowing the federal government to control all of our agencies by allowing these federal dollars to take over, and the federal agenda follows. And so I think that's a big problem we have in our state. We need to cut off the federal dollars to our education system. So where would that money come from? There's, there's plenty of money in the state. 
Okay. They, they get spent. So here, let's go down the list a little bit. So I want to do a budget audit. I want to appoint, uh, appoint an, a special auditor within the first 90 days to start looking at the previous four years budget. There's a lot of money that's wasted. There's a lot of money that goes to these entities that, uh, like the school aid fund, 14, soon to be $18 billion. And how much of that money is making it to the student? Not all of it. You talk to teachers, they're struggling. They're buying things themselves, yeah. whether it's supplies or other things. The, the, the teachers on a limited salary are buying those things because that money's not making. It's getting eaten up into the administration and the buildings and, you know, building a new football stadium here, or building a new performing arts studio. Like, I understand the importance of some of those things, but not every school district needs that. And is that really adding to the value of the students as much as it is the right curriculum and the right things that are going to academically help them to get to the next level? Meanwhile, Michigan's ranked at 38th as our student performance nationwide, and that number continues to drop. Wow. Especially, like, for underprivileged communities, right? Sure, yeah. And, and so here, look at this one, too. Um, you look at some of the Detroit schools that received COVID dollars upwards of $50,000 per student. Wow. And we still have third graders that can't read. Wow. So you're telling me that $50,000 per student gets dumped into the Detroit schools and you still have students that don't know how to read. I'm sure they don't know how to do math. I'm sure they don't know how to sign their name. Why is that? Is it because they can't get teachers like qualified teachers? What is it? I think the money is, I, I don't know where the money's being eaten up at. None of us do really. Right. And that's part of the problem too. Like this money that goes into our budget, it's sucked up into whether it's administration through things, through the teachers union, going to places that mm. uh, it's not adding value to the students. Yeah. We didn't make this big investment. Then we say, Oh, look at everybody in these school districts now knows how to read. They know how to sign their names. Like they still don't, right. That's still a major problem. So money is not the answer. And we sometimes think like that the bigger the investment, the better. Well, it's how it's allocated, right? Exactly. Allocation is off. And yeah. you can go into roads as well, like switching topics there. Uh, right. the, the allocation of funds into the roads, it's disastrous. I live on a road that uh, faces Lake Michigan Drive, which is the road that leads west out of Grand Rapids. It's kind of a main road, main drag between the lakeshore and Grand Rapids. Last year, it didn't need to be replaced. No, it, was, it was doing it fine, right? But what road did they replace in Allendale? M45. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, like, I can think of 10 other roads in our town that needed to be replaced, but you replaced this road. The allocation of funds is way off, and that happens all over the state. Why does that happen? Like, where they, where they fix certain roads but not others that, are, that need it way more? I don't know the answer on that. I don't okay. think really anybody does because anybody with common sense is looking at this and going, why was that decision made? Is right? it like a local government thing? I think it's a lot state driven, which okay. I think is the problem as well. We need to look at localizing those things. So uh, talk about two things here. Number one, I want the counties to give me a list of their worst roads to the best roads so that we can work from the list backwards towards the front and replace those bad roads before we start replacing these good roads. Same thing when it comes to water. We know what happened in Flint, right? Yeah. Benton Harbor, same thing. Whitmer recently put millions and millions of dollars into a bunch of different cities and townships across the state to fix their uh, or to upgrade their municipal water supplies. Now, the trouble with that is I went and I looked at those 11 cities that she made those, those investments in. Some got several hundred thousand dollars. Some got into the millions. Not a single one of those cities had any lead issues in their water. Wow. And Flint wasn't on the list. Wow. Benton Harbor wasn't on the list. So why are we making the investments in the places, right? They're, and they're kind of like uh, Democrat strongholds, right? Dumping mm. that. And so my question wouldn't is Wouldn't Flint too, be too? I, I would think so, right? Yeah. Why, why wouldn't we have the money going there, right? I would think so. Um, but Flint wasn't on that list of 11 different cities, Right. Um, and so recently she's like, oh, we got more federal dollars. Now we're making those investments in Flint. But why are we making investments in all of these other cities that, and I read every single one of their water reports, all of them, the lead levels were either non-existent or, or far below the, the, I think it's 15 parts per billion or whatever that is the EPA allowed mm. uh, amount in, in public water. Wow. 
So allocation of funds, going back to allocation of funds, right? Yeah. It's, it's just so mismanaged and there's just so much corruption in all of this stuff. I think that's where a lot of that $50,000 per student in Detroit schools, the corruption of where that money lead to and why can our students still not read, right? right. I mean, and sometimes like, you know, I think that not that we go back to this, but I think that you could have students perform better, you know, in a barn next to a horse and a cow <laughs> with some chickens running around, teaching them the things that they need to know, math, you know, writing, reading, you know, the skill sets that will help them to excel than to have all this other fancy stuff over here. That's obviously, you know, just by the numbers, just by looking at the data, that's obviously not helping our students excel. Right. I agree. I agree with that. Um, I did have one more question for you. Um, being a union worker and being somebody who works in a factory, um, one of the, my biggest concerns is the part shortages and like uh, not having our, the resources here in Michigan or like uh, the, where a lot of the parts that we get are outsourced to other countries. Is there anything you can do about that? Is there anything that you have in plan or in st- like in store for, um, I guess, manufacturing? Great question. And let's talk about energy independence, right? That's one of those things too, that we're outsourcing right now, right? Yeah. We were energy independent in Mich- or in the United States just a few years ago. And now we see inflation on every corner. That was another question I had. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Glad I brought it up. <laughs> so we see, you know, we see the inflation continue to rise. I mean, Whitmer wants to shut down line five because, uh, you know, um, it, uh, uh, environmental on all the different things with the Green New Deal, right? Mm. Uh, I won't dive too far into all that unless you want to, but, um, you know, what I'm getting at is that, um, you know, we're we're becoming less sufficient as a country and more dependent. Mm. We need to be more independent, absolutely, right? Yeah. And so a lot of the things that you're talking about, unfortunately, as a state, there's not a lot that the state can do because the federal government regulates the interstate commerce. They regulate treaties with other countries and how those things come into the country. Right. Right. Although there's a certain component where we say, hey, if the federal government's not doing the job, we're a border country with Canada, right? You know, can anything come through the waterways, you know, through the Great Lakes into Michigan? I would totally be open for that if the federal government is not doing their constitutional duty to keep those things moving. And that comes back to... Do you feel that they are? I don't know. Absolutely not. Right. I mean, they're making wrong decision after wrong decision. (laughs) And it's leading to all of these part shortages. It's leading to all of these... uh, food shortages, right? That's yeah. another big one there as well. I mean, being energy independent, being being food independent, I mean, those are like two of the biggest things that you need in order to survive, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, energy to fuel your everyday, um, you know, houses being heated when it's cold, um, you know, the the vehicles that we drive, right? The, the energy independence to keep living our lives. Uh, and then food, I mean, try going three days without food. I mean, world's in chaos, yeah. right? You know, yeah. so... As we see the shortages continue to come, the federal government is not stepping up and doing their part in their constitutional obligation. We could talk about illegal immigration. Article 4, Section 4 of the U.S. Constitution says the federal government's job is to protect the border from invasion and come up with uniform immigration laws. Well, opening the border to anybody and just inviting everybody in is not immigration laws, right? It's allowing an invasion of the country. Mm. And so again, the the federal government is failing to do their constitutional duties to protect America, do the best things for our citizens. Uh, and so to go back to your question, as governor under the 10th Amendment, there's certain things that I could do. I know Ron DeSantis down in Florida said, hey, bring the boats here, we'll ship them in, you know? <laughs> and so if we can have some strong governors around the state, there there's a lot of changes that we could absolutely make we have waterways from Michigan that connect out to the ocean, and I would be happy to bring some of those boats in here uh, if it came down to to us needing to do that. Okay. Yeah, that's one thing. Um, like I, I followed uh, Ron DeSantis and uh, the uh, what's the one the Texas uh, Greg governor. Abbott. Great. Yeah, I like I like him a lot. Um, I followed what they've been doing this whole time, and it's it's been pretty tremendous. They're, and they're completely against like what everybody else is doing. It's interesting. We need more of that. And it's interesting the way the way the media paints them. Lets you know they're the guys for the job. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, is there anything else you would like to talk about before we wrap this up? There's probably a lot of different things that we could talk about, I guess, yes, uh, there are. topics that we haven't checked out. Um, for anybody that wants to go and learn more, see more of my 100-day plan, my website is ryandkelly.com, R-Y-A-N-D, 
K-E-L-L-E-Y.com. You can find me on TikTok. You can find me on Facebook, Telegram. I just got booted off of LinkedIn. That was pretty good, <laughs> right? Yeah, I was pretty excited about that one. So they they were like, oh, you're restricted. Your account's restricted. It was after I made a pro-life post. And so uh, they restricted my account. And then they're like, oh, just submit your government ID and we'll look at, see if we can uh. let you back in. I just said, delete app, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? No, you're not, no, I'm not, you know, if you're not going to let me say, you know, as a candidate for governor, I can't have free speech and say my piece. I didn't say anything that was harmful to other people. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't um, use any vulgar language, right? I just stated my opinion, which obviously they didn't like. So can't find me on LinkedIn anymore. Um <laughs> But uh, I've kicked off Twitter permanently as well, right? That one's that's that's another thing I have an issue with is the the media, just uh, like Facebook, Twitter, Twitter specifically right. with their with their uh, cancellation and them uh, suspending people's accounts and whatnot. Is there anything you can do about that on a like a government level? Possibly, I know you know. Again, to go back to Ron DeSantis in Florida, he put some different things on companies that. I forget exactly all of the details, but uh, they can be incurred a hundred thousand dollar fine per occurrence. Um, you know, I, I I'm not sure what the right answer is there for all of these things. I've been thinking a yeah. lot about this. You got the section two thirty um, that makes it so that these companies are protected. But when I read the section two thirty, it says that if these companies censor these people in good faith, and my thought is like. Censoring people because you don't like their their political views when they don't say anything that's you know derogatory towards another person. It doesn't mm-hmm. have any vulgar language. There's no threats of violence. You just censor it. That's not in good faith. No, that's not in good faith at all. So you know, I've tried to reach out to some of our congressmen and women and say, you know, don't worry about changing two thirty. Why don't we say, hey, look, these things aren't done in good faith, and and you know, go in there and take appropriate action at that point. Plus a lot of what I don't like with, with, with this is that our government is writing to these companies, asking them to censor certain groups, right? Whitmer in 2020 asked Facebook to censor all these certain groups. And, um, you know, you've seen many different governors and people, you know, attorney generals write to these big tech companies, asking them to certain censor certain things. Wow. And in all reality, the First Amendment says that the government is not allowed to to censor free speech. So these people are literally censoring free speech from a government perspective by sending all of this uh you know, whether it's letters or whatever communication to these companies asking them to censor. But it's behind the scenes. But, well, you can you can find all the later letters online. Oh wow! Right? I mean, you can just search it on there on DuckDuckGo or whatever you use. Yeah, uh, and you can find all these letters that they're writing, signed by attorney generals, signed by governors, and it's like, well, hold on a minute here. You know, the government shouldn't be censoring the free speech, um, and and you know these companies shouldn't be either. When when they're the the public forum is what they are, and I don't think they need any government subsidies. I think we should be spending zero dollars on these big tech company subsidies. Yeah, absolutely. They have a, enough money. <laughs> uh, what do you think about this? Oh, I can't speak right now. What do you think about Elon Musk buying, tw- trying to buy Twitter? Trying to figure that out, right? I can't yeah. quite make everything out with Elon Musk, right? I mean, he's obviously <laughs> a very hard worker, built some amazing companies, the richest man in the world. Um, I can't quite decide yet if he's truly a globalist, if he's on that agenda. I am not a globalist. I'm an American constitutional sovereignty um, minded individual. We're a constitutional Republic. We're a sovereign nation. I don't want globalism. I don't want a one world government. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I can't really determine yet where he falls on that spectrum. Um, I know he's talked about microchips and some other things. I'm against all of those. Uh, but I do believe that he wants free speech. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know that it's all a bad thing, but let's see how it plays out. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't really know much about Elon Musk, but I do like what he's trying to do with Twitter, trying to, you know, allow free speech. And it seems like people are trying to block him and stop him from doing it. Right. Which so, definitely which is puts some credit in his, in his side, right. you know, that people yeah. are trying to stop him from doing this. He's talked about firing the people on the board <laughs> uh, or paying them $0. Wow. So I think that is, you know, a step in the right direction. 
uh, and he's not buying it as an investment that he needs to make money off of. Right. I mean, obviously he has, you know, a billion dollars, you know, that he finds under the, the couch cushion. Like, oh, I go that way too, <laughs> right? Uh, so, you know, he has no issues with that. And, and hopefully he is doing it to say, hey, this is a free speech platform. If you, you know, if you threaten violence on someone else, you know, hey, we're going to remove that. Yeah. Uh, if you speak your mind, you know, you speak your mind. Yeah. Yeah, the, my th- my philosophy is if you don't like it, you don't have to follow it, <laughs> and that's it. Like you know, <laughs> yeah. but the problem with that is is that some of the things that we see coming out of the leftist camp, uh, you know, it, it's easy to disassemble what they're doing and what they're saying. Right, the lies pile pile on top of each other. The hypocrisy piles on top of each other. And so, again, going back to that truth, like we talked about earlier, like, oh, that extreme radicalist truth, right? We can't yeah. have that, right? So it, it it can smash their narrative very, very quickly. Well, and it's crazy, too, for, like, somebody like me. I'm pretty center of everything. Um, I'm not extreme right, not extreme left. But it's pretty crazy being, you know, the middle of the road and seeing this complete left agenda being pushed on everything. And, and now it's almost to where, like, if somebody's the center of the road – that they're an extremist and it's, it's real bizarre. It's kind of where I fall in. Right. Yeah. You know, just a normal American that, you know, I've, I've had a job, I've built companies, I got a big family, right. I'm just trying to live life. Uh, and here we are where we're at. And I step into, as I talked about earlier, you know, play a role in saving our country, uh, from this leftist agenda. And they're throwing me in all this radicalism and all this other stuff. (laughs) Right. Right. And you're right. If you're, if you love America, you love this country, you stand for what the Constitution for, you like the Second Amendment, right? You're, you're welcome to the radical camp type, you know, yeah. and that's, that's yeah. you know, something they're going to continue to push. So I think the only way to stand up to that is is boldly, courageously, unapologetically, and, and say, hey, look, I'm not backing down or going away. I love it. Well, Ryan, thanks for doing this. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it Absolutely. very much. Yep. All right.